Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The 2021 MLB season is here, and although the seats may not be full, your bankroll has the chance to be. Greg Hoops Peterson has you covered for every game, every day this season, along with comprehensive analysis and angles for getting to the window while celebrating the walk-off winners and blown saves of what will be a wild season. Now it is time for the Baseball Betty Podcast with Greg Peterson. A warm and friendly low. Welcome to Lumpy Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. We've got a great podcast for you. It's in the second segment. Our good friend, Jerky Waters Nation, is going to be joining me. We're going to be taking a look at the games from Friday. We're also going to be taking a look at a lot of what we've seen from the trade deadline over the last 48 hours. What might wind up happening as well because, well, we know that there are a couple of Chicago Cubs out there. That might wind up getting traded. As I'm doing this podcast right now, it looks like the Dodgers are trying to finalize a deal between the Washington Nationals and they to be able to get Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. So there's a lot going down with that. I'm not going to speculate as much on a lot of these, but you certainly know that like Trey Turner is going to be out of the lineup because even if he wasn't going to be getting traded, he has got COVID and everything like that. Danny Hudson looks like he's going to be on the move for the Washington Nationals as well. So we've got a lot going on there. We're going to be talking about so much of that with our good buddy Sharky Waters Nation in the second segment and then looking at some games for Friday as well. And then in the final segment, going to give you guys a sign total on every game on the betting board for this Friday and a little something I like to call touch them all. Certainly we'll be diving into some of those player movements in the final segment as well when I do my game breakdown. So don't you worry there because I know that a lot of the Twitter questions that came in is how is player X, player Y, player Z going to do at his new location? Well, 
you're going to be getting those answers in the final segment when I talk about the game breakdowns that we've all got for Friday. And if you do have a question, comment, segment, idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one or two ways to be able to find those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at JarenScore one Keep in mind, the letters M, they mean does not matter. So as per usual, send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to send your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you, into there. Did not wind up getting in any Twitter questions today, but we certainly did have a great day of baseball on Thursday. So let's take a look back at it. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. It is the San Francisco treat that just keeps on giving. The Giants wind up getting a 5-0 win over the LA Dodgers. Johnny Cueto looked very solid in this one. He winds up going five and two-thirds innings. He did wind up giving up four hits and was removed with the bases loaded. Jarlin Garcia from there. He's able to get out of the bases loaded jam. And then Dominique Leon, Tyler Rogers, Jake McGee. I'll give you a scoreless inning. Brandon Crawford was back at the fold after being on the injured list. He had a pair of RBI for the Giants. They do strand 10 men on base, but they're still able to muster five runs as David Price. Well, the Dodgers have not necessarily been doing well in his starts. They are 2-5 and five in his seven starts so far this year. Gives up four runs, three of which were earned over the course of four and a third innings. Was hurt by Chris Taylor fielding here. From there, the bullpen was not necessarily too bad. Bruce Suter, Gratterall, along with Alex Vecilla, both give you a scoreless inning. Phil Bickford gave you a pair of outs out of the bullpen without giving up a run. And Victor Gonzalez, he is seeing his ERA climb. He winds up giving up a run in an inning. But the Giants, they continue to have a league-best record now, 64-38. and and let me put this into perspective. If they wind up going 500 the rest of the way, they will have 94 wins. The Detroit Tigers are continuing their winning ways. They have now won eight straight games in Detroit. On the road, it has not necessarily been going so well for them, but they get a 6-2 win over the Baltimore Orioles. Alexander Wells did not have it in this start. He winds up giving up four runs over the course of five innings, including home run. Going deep for the Detroit Tigres off of him. Miguel Cabrera for his ninth home run of the season. And then he would get his 10th home run of the season off of Adam Blutko, who goes two innings, giving up two runs. Sean Anderson gave you a scoreless inning for the Orioles. Not a lot doing for the team. 0 of 7 with men in scoring position. For the Detroit Tigers, Casey Mize looked tremendous in this, sir. He has been on a little bit of an innings restriction. They let him go in this one. He gives up one unearned run over the course of seven innings. He was hurt by Nikhil Badu's throwing air. And then from there, Jose Cicerno gives up a run in an inning. Michael Fomer, he winds up giving you a scoreless inning as well. So the Tigers able to get the job done, and they might wind up being able to be a 500 team when it's all said and done. For the Toronto Blue Jays, they are going to be returning to the great state of Canada for their game today, and... Well, they wound up making their last game, of which they didn't necessarily have a home crowd worth it. 13-1, to they go to Boston, and they hammer the Red Sox, who, by the way, looks like they're going to be getting Kyle Schwarber. That's a big deal. But for the Blue Jays, one home run in this one, Vlad Guerrero Jr., his 33rd home run of the season that comes off of Phillips Valdez, who had to come in after Eduardo Rodriguez did not have it in this one for Rodriguez. Gives up six runs in three and a third innings. Phillips Valdez, he gets five outs. He gives up three runs, all of which were earned. Brandon Workman. Boy, he did some work on his ERA to the negative. Gives up four runs in two innings. Darwinson Hernandez and position player Kevin Pilecki both give you a scoreless inning in for the Red Sox. 1-14 with runners in scoring position. They strained 10 men on base as Hunjin Ryu was able to give you a very good start. Six scoreless innings. Rafael Dolis was able to give you a scoreless inning along with Kirby Sneed. And then you wind up having Tyler Sacido give up a run in an inning. So the Blue Jays get a very easy win. The Washington Nationals and Philadelphia Phillies wind up playing a doubleheader, and this was a very wild doubleheader. The Washington Nationals take game one by kind of 3-1. to one. 
Max Scherzer in what is likely his final start as the Washington National gives up one solo home run over the course of six innings going deep off of him. JT Riumito, 11th home run the season, and Kyle Finnegan was able to get his first save of the season. Jan Gomes, who was on the injury list for quite a while, he came back. He got his ninth home run the season. That comes off of Zach Whelan and Dylan Wheeler, who winds up giving up a trio of runs. Those wound up coming in the first and the seventh inning. He gave a complete game, giving up three runs in those seven innings. But for the Phillies, they just weren't able to muster a whole lot of offense aside from that Riumito home run. Will be the opposite in game two. The Philadelphia Phillies get an 11-8 win in eight innings over the Washington Nationals with a walk-off grand slam. Going deep for the Philadelphia Phillies to be able to win this game. That would be Mr. Brad Miller. His 10th home run of the season that comes off of San Clay. Andrew McCutcheon gets his 20th home run of the season. Reese Hoskins is 23rd. And Alec Bohm was able to get his 7th for the Washington Nationals. Patrick Corbin. Not a great start in this one. He gives up three out of those four home runs, giving up four runs in total over the course of five innings. And then Wander, I swear this guy sucks. He now has a 529 ERA, living up to his name. Wander, I swear this guy sucks. Gives up two runs over the course of five outs. Santorini, he gives up a run in an inning to blow the save as for the Philadelphia Phillies, they needed a big run to be able to just force extra innings. They put up a three spot in the seventh inning that forced the eighth inning and then Sam Clay gives up that walk-off grand slam. For the Nationals, they strand 13 men on base. They were able to get a home run off the bat of Josh Harrison, his sixth home run season. And for the Phillies, well, this wasn't a good start. Christopher Sanchez, in his first career start, gives up four runs and got one out. I will tell you right now, that's not good. From there, Connor Brogdon, he gives you five outs. He gives up two runs, both of which were earned. Brandon Kitzler gives up an unearned run in two innings. And then Aniel De Los Santos, Hector Neres, J.D. Hammer. They hammer away with a scoreless inning for all those guys. Ranger Suarez does give up a run in his inning of work in the eighth, but that was the unearned run that starts on second base. So we certainly saw an interesting doubleheader out there in Philadelphia. The National League East in general has gotten very fast, saying as the Mets wind up losing at home to the Atlanta Braves by kind of 6-3. The Braves have not been above 500 for a single day all year, and yet here they are four games back with the Mets, who are now 32-18 and 18 at home. They have been very good at home. Not so great on the road for the Metropolitans in this one. Pete Alonso got his 23rd home run of the season. That comes off of Drew Smiley, who was not necessarily too long for this game. Gives up three runs, including that homer over the course of four innings. From there, the bullpen went to work. Luke Jackson, Will Smith, Jesse Chavez. I'll give you a scoreless setting. Tyler Mansick, two scoreless settings. And for the Atlanta Braves, you get a trio of home runs. Austin Riley goes deep off of Taiwan Walker for his 21st home run of the season. Abraham Almonte, his fifth home run of the season, also off of Walker. And then Jersich Familia, Spanish for blowing save. Gives up the home run to Dansby Swanson, his 18th home run season for Walker. He winds up getting completely shellacked in this one. And now has given up five home runs in his last two starts after he had given up three all season. He winds up giving up five runs over the course of his five innings. Miguel Castro, Aaron Loop, and a little bit of a new gentleman in Akeem Bostic, who I believe was pitching for the St. Louis Cardinals. I'll give you a scoreless inning, Jersich Familia. He gives up a run in an inning as well, so that was not necessarily too terrific for the Metropolitans. This was not terrific for the Yankees. They get destroyed 14-0 against the Tampa Bay Rays. For Garrett Cole, he is not looking good right now. Eight runs, seven of which were earned, give it up in five and a third innings, including home run. Going deep for the Tampa Bay Rays off of him in this one, Austin Meadows, his 19th home run season. He would then go deep off of Albert Abreu for his 20th home run season. And for Mr. Abreu, oh gosh, 
He gives up three home runs and six total runs without getting it out. That's not good. He also gave up a home run to G-Man Choi, his seventh home run of the season. And then Brett Phillips would take him deep for his sixth. So his ERA is now a nice hearty 565 after he wound up entering into the game with a very good one. I believe that his ERA entering into what we wound up seeing was a buck 88. So... That is a booster right there. Sal Romano, he winds going one and two-thirds innings, not giving up any runs. Like Clay Holmes, a scoreless inning, so that was good news. But for the Tampa Bay race, Luis Patino, six scoreless innings in this one. And then Ryan Sheriff and Lewis Head combined for three scoreless innings. So the Tampa Bay race have been white hot at home, and they wind up continuing that. And the Yankees, who wind up just training for Joey Gale, eight and a half games out of the ALE. So you got to figure that they're going to try to buy for the wild card. The Chicago White Sox, Currently in a little bit of a funk as they lose 3 out of 4 to the Kansas City Royals. And overall, this is a team that has lost 6 out of their last 8 games. The Royals shut about by a count of 5-0. to zero. Carlos Rodon, one of his worst starts of the year, gives up 4 runs over the course of 4 innings, including a pair of home runs. Michael Taylor gets his 9th home run season. And Salvador Perez is 25th as Carlos Hernandez who entered into this game with a north of seven career ERA in the role of starter. Six scoreless innings. Ryan Lovelady, two scoreless innings. Wade Davis, a scoreless inning for the White Sox. Just nothing doing for the team on offense. They get five hits and go 0 of 3 with men in scoring position. From there, Rinaldo Lopez comes out of the bullpen for two innings. Gives up one under and run. Was hurt by a Lori Garcia throwing error. And then from there, you wind up having Ryan Burr give you two scoreless innings. So, not necessarily what the White Sox were looking for. This is not what the other Chicago team was looking for. They lose to the Red Legs by a count of 7-4. to four. Luis Castillo, another good start for him. He gives up three runs over the course of... Of six innings. He did give up a pair of home runs going deep for the Cubbies. Patrick Wisdom, his 16th home run season. It's still amazing that he's getting a home run every like 10 or so at bats. Wilson Contreras also good to see off of him. His 17th home run of the season. And when it was too little, too late, Ian Apapare was able to get his 10th home run season. That comes off of Heath Embry. Embry gives up one run in his inning of work. Michael Gibbons, Brad Brock, they give you scoreless innings out of the bullpen. And Joey Votto, this man is white hot. He has gotten eight home runs in his last six games, at least one home run in each out of his last six. He winds up teeing off on Alec Mills, who gives up four runs, three of which were earned over the course of six innings. And then the bullpen, which has been so reliable for the Cubs all year long, but has faltered the last 30 days. They did so once again. Kyle Ryan, along with Jake Jewell, were able to give you three scoreless innings. Problem was, Trevor McGill came in, and he gave up three runs without getting it out. So the Cubs... Boy, they have not been good. They have a bottom five record in the big leagues ever since they wound up throwing that combined no-hitter. A team that was certainly not no-hit, but they were relatively close to it. That'd be the LA Angels. They get shut out by the Oakland A's by a count of 4-0 to zero for the Oakland A's. How about Frankie Montas being able to give you seven scoreless innings? He punches out 10, and for Dylan, don't call me Al Bundy. He got the start on late notice because... The Angels were going to go with Alex Cobb. He got scratched for some reason. I have no idea why, by the way. I'm just doing this on the fly. But you've got Bundy giving up three runs in four and a third inning. So Zeke Kitana from there. Failed starter has been coming out of the bullpen. He gives up one run in two and a third innings. Austin Warren, freshly called up from the minor leagues. He was able to give you four outs out of the bullpen without giving up anything. Mike Myers winds up giving you a scoreless setting as well. And for the Oakland A's, coming out of the bullpen was Sergio Romo and Lou Trevino to be able to stem the tide. And for the Colorado Rockies, this is a team that they just continue to not muster anything. They get shut out by the San Diego Padres. The difference maker in this one, a Fernando Tatis Jr. double. He was able to get his 70th RBI of the season. And for Joe Musgrove, he was tremendous. 
Seven innings, 11 punch outs. Drew Pomerantz was able to give you a scoreless inning on the bullpen as well. And for the Colorado Rockies, you were able to get a very good start out of Kyle Freeland. He gives up one run over the course of six innings, and he has really been able to do a good job recently after he wound up having a north of nine ERA in his first five starts of the season. This is a guy that he's now given up one run or fewer in now five out of his last seven starts. I think that he's given up like a grand total of nine runs in that time span. He has actually been very good, but the team around him didn't do anything. At least Jasim was able to give you a scoreless inning. Daniel Bard was able to send the tide as well, but for the Colorado Rockies, just nothing doing on offense. But hopefully we're doing some good by taking a look at all the trends of Major League Baseball right now. And what we are finding is that overs and unders overall for the year are relatively equal. If you've been blindly betting overs or blindly betting unders, you haven't really made a lot. 734 overs so far this year, 727 unders. So that is about a clip of 50.2-50.3%. Favorites have been able to do a good job by and large all year long, 888 and 628. So that's right around 58.5% on that clip. If you're looking over the last 30 days, favorites are now 2146. That is a little bit above 57.5%. Overs are a little bit ahead of unders, 166 of 165. So that is very much an even Stevens approach there. If you're looking at home teams, they are now 189 and 160 over the last 30 days. So they're hitting at a right around a 54-ish percent clip. But if you're looking at just the last seven days, so a very small sample size, overs are right now behind unders as we have seen 40 overs and 48 unders the last seven days and favorites in that time span 52 and 41 so that's what we all saw for major league baseball on thursday and that's what we're all looking at right now when it comes to trends now let's take a look at everything that we have seen from the mlb trade deadline what we might see moving forward and just take a look at some of the games for friday with our good buddy sharky waters nation that chat is on the other side right here on the baseball betting podcast with myself greg peterson Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. We're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. It is great to be joined by our guest as it is Sharky Waters Nation who's joining me on the podcast. Man does an absolutely terrific job. He does more of a basketball show slash podcast with Jay Money is Money. He takes a look at the baseball betting board every single day. Does a great job there. He does some work with the Dad Bods podcast as well. Man does a little bit of everything. He posts out videos pretty much on a daily basis, if not a bi-daily basis. You're always able to catch his great work on Twitter. And to be able to find that, that is at Sharks in Sports. That is the word Sharks, the letter N, and then the word Sports, as it is Sharky Waters Nation joining me on the podcast. And my friend, always great to have you aboard. Thank you so much for joining me. Well, thanks for having me, Greg. And we find ourselves here. The trade deadline is July 30th. As you mentioned, the NBA is going nuts as well with the NBA draft and all sorts of roster moves and trades going down. As a sports fan, as a prognosticator, as a commentator, this is pretty much what you love, right, Greg? This is incredible stuff. Oh, yeah. Typically, when you're in late July, early August, it's pretty much a dog days. There's not a whole heck of a lot going on. Not here in 2021. And then you're going to have Summer League going down in the NBA relatively soon. I'm personally taking a look at all these college basketball conferences as well and taking a look at the baseball betting board day in and day out. And we've seen it in the same trade deadline. As we're doing this right now, there are rumors that Max Scherzer might be going to the Padres. By the time this gets posted, he might wind up getting dealt. So that's pretty insane. 
As we know, the Brewers wind up picking up Eduardo Escobar. The Yankees wind up picking up Joey Gallo. Cesar Hernandez gets dealt from the Cleveland Indians. The list goes on and on. Out of all the moves we've seen right now, which one do you think is the most impactful? Because I think that a lot of people would be taking a look at Joey Gallo going to the Yankees, but I'd argue that Eduardo Escobar going to the Brewers is much more meaningful because with the Yankees, what has really been their bugaboo is just guys not necessarily getting on base. They've actually been doing an okay job of getting homers. I recognize that the left-handed hitting has been absolutely terrible for them, and Joey Gallo certainly going to be able to help out with that, but I would honestly argue that Eduardo Escobar going to the Brewers is a little bit of a bigger deal. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree. I mean, I do think as a Yankee fan, we touch on this every time I come on here and so blessed to do it. They are always so unbelievably heavy with the home run ball. Of course, the lefty batter is huge. I mean, you look at Brian Cashman and you say to yourself, okay, going off the record months ago, years ago, when you put together a lineup, how do you just leave left-handed batters off the lineup, particularly in Yankee Stadium with that short porch in right? Out of the box, one of the biggest points on that is the short porch in right. Joey Gallo should go nuts, even if he still continues to bat in the 220s. You're going to see a lot of home runs, particularly with you know the rewound ball after the All-Star break here. Escobar going over over to the Brewers, integral. You'll see a nice buy from the Diamondbacks. And, you know, you see great home run numbers, RBI numbers, and a solid average there. And I think the Brewers have had issues going back the last couple of years, a little bit of run-scoring droughts left, right, and center. And I think he's definitely a great addition that should hopefully make their lineup a little more consistent. With the Milwaukee Brewers, they've got so much frontline starting pitching at this point as well because when you've got that three-headed monster of Freddie Peralta, Corbin Burns, who's going to be on the mound on Friday along with Brandon Woodruff, that is good enough in any series to, at the very least, give you a puncher's chance because, as we know, the rotations wind up shortening up a little bit. Typically, you're going with a little bit more of a four-man rotation rather than a five-man rotation. So if the Brewers are able to get a little bit of hitting, and really ever since the month of June, they've been putting up right in the pocket of about 4.9, five runs per game, depending on what day you take a look at it. This is a Brewers team that I feel like they could be that dark horse team out there in the National League. Now, Obviously, they need to finish a job, win the Central, because I think we'd both agree that we're going to have three teams coming out of the NL West into the postseason, but I think the Brewers are more than equipped to be able to do that, and that's a team I don't want to be seeing in a five-slash-seven game series. I couldn't agree more, and I think the pitching is integral on that. As you said, they have three absolute A-list pitchers, Corbin Burns, our man Peralta, and Brandon Woodruff, of course, and not paltry with the bats, I might add, that man Brandon Woodruff. And yeah, of course, you go to the NL West, we're going to get three out of there. And you look at their pitching staffs, I wouldn't say any of those teams really have a top three that do match up with the top three of the Brewers. And you get three A starts, you potentially sweep, three, one, three, two, four, two, that type of game. I mean, all of us that watch baseball religiously know that the product in the playoffs is usually vastly different, much tighter, lower scoring, more tedious, but a totally different product. I couldn't agree more. I wouldn't have said that coming into the campaign. I was not particularly bullish on the Brewers. And I also thought the NL Central was just all over the grid. I didn't really know what to expect from the Cubs, Cardinals, or Reds. And you've seen the worst of the worst, really, from the Cubs and the Cardinals coming in here the last month. And I just think that it's really separating. And you're going to have an absolutely incredible watch coming into the division series with the Brewers versus whoever they end up playing. And being someone that was born in the great state of Wisconsin, I can tell you right now, I didn't necessarily know what to expect out there in the NL Central. I thought that it was going to be a tightly knit group. The Chicago Cubs were looking good when they wound up getting that combined no-hitter in late June. Ever since then, they've been in the bottom five of the big leagues. The Cincinnati Reds had a golden opportunity going out of the All-Star break to be able to get within one game of the Milwaukee Brewers if they would have been able to sweep that series. Instead, they got swept. And now the Brewers 
putting themselves in very good footing as we do have Sharky Waters Nation joining me on the podcast. And I think that that's really interesting to take a look moving forward because we do have some teams and some guys that have really been able to step up. And as we know, the biggest surprise so far this year, Major League Baseball, the team with the best record, the San Francisco Giants, they're going to be facing off against the best team in the American League on Friday. This is a real treat as you've got Kevin Gosman going for the San Francisco Giants. From Valdez is going to be going for the Houston Astros. I don't know about you, but I just still question the fact that the Giants are getting no love whatsoever when I take a look at this one. You've got the Giants anywhere between minus 105 and minus 109. So this is a relatively pick game. Not sure how you take a look at this one, but the Giants coming off of taking two of three from the Dodgers. And for those that are wanting to make a case against the San Francisco Giants, they are now in four in their last 12 against the LA Dodgers. They've done relatively good against the Padres as well. So they've been doing it against good competition. When you take a look at their metrics are right where they should be. And the Astros, as we know, best offense in baseball. They've been able to do an amazing job there. And Veldez has been one of their most reliable starters. So I think that this is going to be a treat of the series. I think that this is going to be a fantastic game on Friday. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And they've surprised me time and time again. I've said this on record with you, and I've said it on my own channel on Twitter. I was trying to fade the Giants at numerous different breaking points in the year where I thought they would have a tougher schedule or just they would regress more so to preseason expectations, and they have not. 63-38 and in the campaign with a plus-113 differential. One point on this game that I'm very centered on, 9.45 p.m. Eastern, 6.45 p.m. Pacific, Oracle Park in San Francisco. I like the over here at 7.5, and I think really what you're looking at here is Framber Valdez came out in this season off of an injury in May and was very, very good. Way too good, if I might add. And you look at the other side of this game, you look at Kevin Gassman. I would say he was way too good for a period of time, an elongated period of time, if you will. And I think both pitchers are showing signs the last three or four games of being more pedestrian. And I don't necessarily think they're going to bounce back to being just unequivocal ace quality in this matchup. As you did mention, uh, the Astros, the best offense in baseball. At seven and a half here, crossed with some peripherals, which I won't go into too much detail and bore every listener in the United States and the world. I do think this seven and a half has a lot of agreeability on an over. Yep, I'm right there with you. Once you get up to eight, then I think it's a little bit more of a roll of the dice. But at the seven and a half that we're seeing as we're recording this, I am certainly right there with you as we do have Sharky Waters Nation joining me on the podcast. And a team that I know that you're interested in, I am interested in them as well. That'd be the LA Angels. They are going to be playing us to the Oakland A's. And Oakland A's team that, let's be honest here, they have done very well against them. I believe that going into the series, the A's have won six out of their last eight against the LA Angels. No, I'm very centered on the Angels here. I think when you really look at the dynamic, as you stated before, the A's have owned the Angels in this small window last eight games. Of course, that's roughly 40% of the 19-game sample here within the division. But you do look at Patrick Sandoval at home, reasonable good peripherals. And I do go to the run differentials, which you know I like to do. And I look within this division, and I see Oakland at a plus 42 11 over, but I do see the Angels here sitting at a minus 33 and one over. That gap is suggesting for me where the Angels should actually get a little bit better. You know, obviously without Mike Trout, and we mentioned before Anthony Rendon, a couple issues, but I do think just if you look at the, the overall athletic sample, a little bit too fortunate in a lot of environments, and I do see them moving downward within this particular matchup. I do like the way that Chris Bassett is pitching with Patrick Sandoval, nearly getting a no-hitter against the Minnesota Twins. 
that was certainly one in which I felt like he pitched a little bit over his head. And no question, Sandoval has been so much better this year than he was in his previous two years. But I do think that we might wind up seeing a little bit of progression come in with him as well. And it's going to be interesting to see if we see some progression with Jamison Tyon. Because with Tyon, I feel like he's pitched a little bit better than what he should at home. He's been a little bit worse on the road. They should be as well. But with that said, he's got some of the more demonstrative splits that you're going to see in all of baseball home to road. Now, nobody compares to Blake Snell. That has been absolutely insane. But he is going to be on the road, going to a very pitcher-friendly ballpark in Miami against a Marlins team that they have a terrible record. But if you look at their run differential, they haven't necessarily been too terrible. Got a guy in Tyon who has a 608 ERA on the road. He's given up six home runs in 37 innings, but opponents are in a 279 off of him. That's a little bit more of a concern. As we know, Miami Marlins, not necessarily a great hitting team, but they have been a solid pitching team. And Zach Thompson, 245 ERA. He's actually been relatively solid when he's been getting starts. Not sure how you see this, but I see the Yankees right around a minus 145. And I think that the Yankees should be a favorite here, but I think that this is a little bit too rich, despite the fact that the record's would on the surface maybe show this sort of a discrepancy. Yeah, absolutely. And we've touched on this before. The National League East is one of the most abstract in terms of looking at run differential versus actual records. And the Marlins are 44 and 58 on the campaign with a plus four differential. And they're very good, comparatively speaking, to their road record at home. They are 24 and 23 at home. Having lived in Miami and gone to that ballpark before, I can tell you the home crowd is not particularly energized. And I think that actually might help them in a way. And I think oftentimes road teams play better in more hostile environments. And when they come into a really flat ballpark, I think sometimes you just get flat efforts from the opponents. I do think, as I talk about in basketball, it's very important to note when a new player is inserted into the starting lineup, there's usually growing pains and they will not play well for a particular period of time. I'm not sure how much that will apply to Joey Gallo being presumably inserted into the lineup for his first game. But obviously the Yankees coming in here off of a shellacking 14 nothing at the hands of the Tampa Bay Rays will want to bounce back. As you said, Tyone has been really poor on the road compared to at home, but recently he has been above average in all environments. Most of his really pedestrian outings came before June 1st. I don't know if he's found something in the mind. Uh, His sequencing of pitches has improved, something with the coaching staff or just maybe his grip and overall physicality, but he has found something. The game for me is a difficult cap. I'm more interested from a narrative perspective to see how the Yankees come out of the gates quickly or not with Joey Gallo. Although I do agree with you, the line is effectively a little short and probably would lean to the Marlins on a numerical analysis here. Yeah, I think that this is a spot in which the Yankees, like I said, they should be a little bit of a favorite. I just don't know necessarily how much Gallo is going to be able to do for the Yankees because he is so much of an all-or-nothing hitter. He's either going to give you a home run or he's going to give you a strikeout. There's really not too many singles in which he winds up getting on base and then someone winds up driving them in. So that is going to be something that I'm going to be watching for. And Mr. Sharky Watersation, is there anything else that you're really looking for on this Friday card slash players that might wind up getting moved? Because obviously when it comes to sports betting, we're taking a look at just individual games. But I do think that in the bigger picture as well, what we wind up seeing at the trade deadline is massive as well. And we can be sure that there are going to be a lot of big moves on Friday. Oh, no doubt. And we were just speaking off the record about Max Scherzer potentially being moved. Uh, Of course, he did say does not want to go to New York. And I know New York Yankees fans were not 
particularly enthused about that. But if he does end up with San Diego, that bolsters them to a whole other level. Of course, we were just talking about the Brewers having a top three. The top three for the Padres have been, I think, more inconsistent than the Padres' front office would have liked. Obviously, Chris Paddock, a young pitcher, a little inconsistent. Blake Snell, as you mentioned before, home away splits, uncanny inability to pitch on the road, and even a real pedestrian one recently at home. And of course, Joe Musgrove, uh, no hitter early season, but has become a little bit more on his neutral average there. One more game that I wanted to touch on. I like the Pirates at home with Will Crow on the mound facing the Phillies. As we just said in the National League East, the run differential discrepancies are all over the grid. I give you Philadelphia Phillies at a 51 and 51 neutral at a minus 23 differential. They should get worse. And the Pirates are just one of those very below average teams that does find much better baseball quality at home in this particular campaign 2021. They're 21 and 28. Will Crow does pitch well at home. And the number as a probability at minus 125, 130 for Philly is very short. And oftentimes when you do look at public versus sharp analysis of a game, public would probably prefer Phillies here on a short number with a supposedly better team. But I would offer you all those analysis points as to why it's short and probably leaning towards the Pirates. Yeah, it's been a really rough one for the Pittsburgh Pirates, but we were just talking as well about how the Milwaukee Brewers have been able to ascend with their lineup, and obviously the pitching has been lights out for them as well, and the Philadelphia Phillies didn't necessarily look good against a Washington Nationals team yesterday in which is dealing with a whole bunch of COVID-19 concerns, but a man in which has absolutely no concerns whatsoever because day in and day out, he just puts in absolutely tremendous work He does a great job of looking at baseball. He does a great job of looking at the NBA. NBA draft just wound up wrapping up. Did a great job with that. He's getting prepared for all the action on the gridiron. That'd be you, Sharky Waters Nation. Love the good people at home. Know what you've all got going on right now and in future weeks as well, since I know that you're going to be very busy in the coming months when it comes to the NFL and college football season and just how people can get your work in general. Absolutely. It's Sharks and Sports, letter N, capital, one word on Twitter. I want to give a shout out to Greg Peterson. I say a pro's pro, and I truly mean that. You go on here, you put a lot of content work in over an hour a day. That takes more work than the average listener really knows about. And ultimately, I'm going to be working in the NFL this fall. I'm going to be doing Sunday shows on YouTube and really waiting around for my top, top sports, which are basketball, NBA and college basketball. I know Greg and I will be on here in the fall talking about that sport as well. It's going to be a lot of fun. I can tell you right now, I'm looking forward to the college basketball season. I absolutely love what we're getting this baseball season. Cannot wait for the NFL to come back into our lives, especially since Aaron Rodgers is actually going to be a Green Bay Packer. Let me tell you, this native of the state of Wisconsin is very, very happy about that. And something else I'm happy about, being able to get great guests on this podcast. Sharky Waters Nation certainly fits the bill. Always great to get him aboard. So big thanks to Sharky Waters Nation for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time that I give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this Friday. And a little something I like to call, touch them all. Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And we're back here in Love you, Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Always great to get Sharky Waters Nation on this podcast. Does a great job looking at a wide variety of things. Did a great job with the NBA draft yesterday. Doing a great job looking at the baseball betting board day in and day out. So, always appreciate him. Now it is that time for the podcast. I give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this Friday. And a little something I like to call 
Touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do you know that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JarenScorty1. We're going to be going in Las Vegas tradition order. This is where we go nationally games first. Then the American League games and any interleague games are going to be at the bottom, so we're going to keep things all neat, clean, and organized with that regard. And as per usual, we are going to be listing any changes that are made on both the spreadsheet and my Twitter feed at GRSCORDY1. So we do begin with that first Ashley game, 901-902 on the banking board. The Philadelphia Phillies hit the road to face off against the Pittsburgh Pirates. One William Crow is going to be going for the Buccos. Vince Velasquez is on the bump for the Philadelphia Phillies, who find themselves between minus 130, minus 135 favorites, plus 115 to plus 122 is what you're going to get the Pirates at. Your total on this game is 9. Under is anywhere between minus 105, minus 110. The over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. For Velasquez, he has been so much better at home than he has been on the road, but you take a look at this Pittsburgh Pirates team. Now, I do recognize that the Milwaukee Brewers have been able to do a very good job recently. They wind up picking up some good bats, but... They got destroyed just throughout that entire series. This is a bunch in which they've lost each other last four games by multiple runs. And now a team that was in the bottom five with regards to runs per game is without the National League leader in its and Adam Frazier as he wound up getting traded. Now, you got a couple guys who are able to get on base for you. Ben Gamble, Wilmer Defoe, Long Cabrian Ace in between a 250 and a 275-ish. You've got Brian Reynolds who's been able to do a tremendous job for this team. Hitting above a 318 home runs, but then from there... Yeah, pretty much have nobody else that you really want any part of. You've got Michael Perez, Philip Evans, Gregory Polanco, Rodolfo Castro, Kaye Tom. list goes on and on of guys that have not necessarily been able to do great. John Nagowski is someone that's hitting right around 280, but a small sample size there. And this is a Pittsburgh Pirates bullpen that has actually been relatively solid so far this year, but Kyle Crick is currently on the injured list. You have been able to get quite a bit of something out of guys like Jason Tree, Richard Rodriguez, and company, but you can tell that these guys are just getting used up, and they trot out there a guy in William Crow that has not been able to give you tremendous length, five and a third innings or fewer, and pretty much all but one of his starts so far this year. A gentleman that is allowing in the pocket of about two home runs per nine innings, 4.3-ish walks per nine as well, so that has not necessarily been great for him, and he has not necessarily been better at home than he has been on the road. On the road, a 6.170 RA at home, a 558 0-4 record at home, and he is allowing at home north of two and a half home runs per nine innings. Meanwhile, you do take a look at what you're able to get on the other side for Mr. Vince Velasquez. It has honestly been too terrific, and ESPN is showing Aaron Supernola for this game. I think that it's going to be Mr. Vince Velasquez. You wind up having a little bit of a change there, but for him, he has been someone that has certainly been giving up the deep ball. As you take a look at it, he has given up at least two home runs in now three out of his last four starts. Overall, seven home runs given up in the month of July, and he's giving up on a home runs per nine rate right around three and a half this month, and he's got a 10.91 ERA. Not necessarily backed up by the world's greatest bullpen, though. This is a team that is trying to fortify themselves a little bit more. J.D. Hammer is back in the fold. Christopher Sanchez wound up getting used up yesterday. You just used a whole bevy of guys in that extra inning game against the Washington Nationals that the Phillies were able to win in a very grand fashion. And you take a look at this Phillies team. You've had Bryce Harper be able to go deep quite a bit of time so far this year. 16 home runs for him. The problem is with his home runs is that I believe 14 of them have been of the solo shot variety, so that is a little bit of an issue. JT Yumito has been able to do a solid job for this team as well. He's been able to give you an on-base percentage of right around a 360. Ronald Torres has been able to do a good job along Luke Williams of hitting about a 265 to a 270 with both of these gentlemen. And then at the top, Gene Segura. 
coming back, hitting above a 300. That is going to be able to help out this bunch as well. And Reese Hoskins, guy with north of 20 home runs along with Andrew McCutcheon, both of these guys don't necessarily have the world's greatest batting averages right around a 232, 240 apiece, but for McCutcheon, 360 on base. I think that this is just a bad spot for the Pittsburgh Pirates, so I'm going to be taking a look at the Philadelphia Phillies despite the Vince Velasquez struggles, and with the Pirates being close to dead last in nearly every category in Major League Baseball and offense, set this all at 8.5, so going under along with the Phillies. I know 3 9 4 on the betting board. We currently have no numbers up on this game as you got the Chicago Cubs on the road facing up against the Washington Nationals. To be determined is right now the pitcher for the Washington Nationals. Meanwhile, Trevor Williams is on the bump for the Cubs for one. What sort of a Cubs lineup are you going to be getting? Because I wouldn't doubt if by the time you wind up having first pitch of this game, you wind up seeing guys like Javi Baez, Chris Bryant, and company on the move. And for the Washington Nationals, there's rumors that Trey Turner down for what, who's right now been out of the fold anyway, might wind up getting moved as well. So you've got a lot of moving pieces with this one with the Washington Nationals. I was seeing a little bit earlier John Lester perhaps getting the start in this one. That would not necessarily be too terrific. And Trevor Williams is not necessarily too terrific. A gentleman with a 5.06 ERA. You take a look at what he's done on the road so far this year. It's absolutely terrible. 7.88 ERA across six starts. He is allowing right around two home runs per nine innings. Opponents are at 3.43 off of him on the road. And then you do take a look at the Washington Nationals. Got to figure that Trey Turner down for what is not going to be in the fold. You've got Alcides Escobar, though, sitting at 270. Juan Soto is not getting moved at the trade deadline. I can assure you of that. He's got seven home runs since the All-Star break, though. And this is someone that has been able to do just a really good job of being able to reach base. Right around a 425 on base for him. Josh Harrison has right around a 360 on base. You've had a little bit of something out of the outfield at Yadiel Hernandez. He's hitting a 265, a little bit of an underrated guy. It looks like you're going to be splitting time with Jan Gomes and Trace Pereira at the catcher spot. Both of these guys have been able to hold down the fort. And with the Washington Nationals as well, they have been dealing with their COVID-19 outbreak. So you are noticing a couple of I guess you could call it off-the-wall pitchers. Andres Machado is back up at the big league level. You're probably not going to be having the services of someone like a Sam Clay in this contest, which it's not necessarily much of a downgrade either. The Washington Nationals really did have to burn through their bullpen in that eight-inning game in the second game of their doubleheader yesterday. So, Swander, I swear, oh, this guy sucks, is going to be out of the fold, which is not a bad thing at all. He's got a 529 ERA. Tanner Rainey has been terrible. He got used up as well. So, you actually should be getting more of the trustworthy guys with the Washington Nationals. We just don't know who's going to be trying it out there. If it winds up being Trevor Williams versus John Lester, a guy who has north of a 5 ERA, and sometimes he gives you a great start, sometimes he gives you an absolutely pitiful start, who so far this year has given up right around 1.7 home runs per 9 innings, a little bit over 3 walks per 9 innings. I'd probably be setting this as the Washington Nationals being a very slight favorite because I mentioned it with the Chicago Cubs. What are you going to be able to get out of this lineup? I feel very safe in saying that you're going to have Rafael Ortega and Patrick Wisdom out there. They're guys in between a 268 and a 280. And for Wisdom, this is a guy that's getting a home run every 10 at bat. So he has certainly been able to do a good job. If you do wind up having Avi Bias, he's been able to give you 22 home runs. He's hitting about 250. Doesn't necessarily walk a lot. Wilson Contreras has been a mainstay for this team. 350 on base along with Matt Duffy as well. Anthony Brizzo. 
Big time question marks there as I'm doing this podcast. It looks like there's a good chance that he's going to be on the move to the New York Yankees. So at this point, I'm considering him as good as gone and not in the fold. So probably would be setting the Washington Nationals as a very slight favorite. And with this total, we'll be looking at a 9.5 or lower with the over 10 or higher at the under. If you do wind up getting Lester versus Williams. Initial thoughts there. Check back in the morning my Twitter feed at Jerry's41 because we've got a lot of moving parts there. 905-906 is the New York Post play of the day. you got the New York Metropolitans playing us to the Cincinnati Reds. We are on to Cincinnati and they're on to Sonny Gray getting the start. Meanwhile, Carlos Carrasco is going to be going for the New York Mets. He's making his season debut and in his season and Mets debut, is finding himself between a minus 119 and minus 125 favorite. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the red legs, anywhere between plus 105 and plus 114 is your price here. 8.5 is your total. Overs between minus 110 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even a minus 110. Seeing straight 9 out there as well. That under is minus 120 and the over is even. Did not really like what I wound up seeing in Carlos Carrasco's rehab. He wound up making three rehab appearances between, I believe it was single A and triple A, went six and two-thirds innings total. He gave up three home runs and three walks in that time span. He did not look good. Meanwhile, you take a look at Sonny Gray. It's been a tough year for him as well. This is going to be his first road start since the beginning of May, but he seems to be reining it in a little bit more. He deserves a little bit better than a 2-6 record. He certainly has been a little bit shaky, but the strikeouts per nine numbers, those are certainly still there with him. He's generating... Just under 12 strikeouts per nine innings, so he's been pretty rock solid on that front. You take a look at the Reds in general. This is a team with a home ERA that is about a point higher than their road ERA, and Sonny Gray fits into that mold as well. 333 ERA on the road. Both of his wins have come in road games. He has given up two home runs across 27 innings, so he's been able to do a good job there. Now, the Reds, they have been scoring about a run per game less when they've been on the road, but you know what? The good right elixir is probably the Chicago Cubs, and they have now scored at least five runs in each out of their last seven games, so this team is white hot, and Joey Votto is white hot. How about what this gentleman is doing? A home run in now six straight games. He has eight home runs in total in this time span. He has gotten as hot as lava. He's now hitting a 280. Jonathan India, 300 on base, 275 batting average at the top of the fold. Tucker Barnard and Kyle Farmer hitting between a about a 258 and a 265 for this team. Shogo Akiyama at the bottom of the fold is not necessarily been able to give you a lot with regards to batting average along Eugenio Suarez, but Mr. Suarez, 19 home runs. We all know about Jesse Winker hitting above a 300. He's been able to pound out over 20 home runs, so even without Nick Cassianos, this team has been solid. With the Reds, they wind up picking up a couple bullpen pieces as well. We wound up seeing one yesterday in Michael Givens. He is going to be giving this team a sub-3 ERA at the bullpen. I do like what you're able to get out of Luis Sessa as well. Brad Brock has been halfway decent now. You still got guys like Keith Embry, Jeff Hoffman is someone that they're now using in long relief that aren't necessarily too terrific, but the Mets seem to be faltering a little bit as well. Taiwan Walker was not able to give the world's greatest start yesterday. That meant that you had to go into the bullpen a little bit more than you'd like. Aaron Loop, Miguel Castro, Jersey Familia all wound up getting used up. Drew Smith has been able to do a solid job, and with the Mets, they do have guys that are coming back in. Got a lot of guys hitting in that neighborhood of about a 250 to a 265-ish. You're able to take a look at Pete Alonzo, Tom Smith, James McCann, all in that fold. Thomas Nito is someone that has been right in that realm as well whenever he's been out there. So, got quite a few guys doing that. And you've got Pete Alonzo, who's been able to give you 23 home runs so far this year. Ever since the home run derby, he has been able to get white out. Brandon Nimmo's hitting a 300. And Michael Conforto, it's not found it with regards to batting average, but does have a 330 on base. But I take a look at this spot. I just don't think that Carlos Carrasco is necessarily going to be able to give you a whole lot. When you take a look at him last 
last year. It sounded like he was great, but at the same time, he wasn't necessarily terrible. He was just sort of a missed starter. This is a man that has certainly overcome a lot, and I applaud him for it. 291 ERA last season. Season before, he wound up having a 529, so ever since he's been dealing with his battle with leukemia, it certainly has been a little bit of a roller coaster. I just don't think that he's going to be in good form in this start, which is why I personally want to make him the Reds the favorite. And my New York Post play today is the Reds on the money line. Also, wind up saying this all 9.2. So we're going to be going over along with the Red Legs. 907, 908 on the bang bar. You got the Atlanta Braves playing host to the Milwaukee Brewers. One Corbin Burns going to be going for the Bruku. Dookie Dusad is going to be on the bump for the Atlanta Braves. Only DraftKings at Westgate currently have a number on this game. Brewers, anywhere between minus 110 and minus 122 favorites with the Braves. Shop around because DraftKings has minus 110, plus 112 at the Westgate. In half is your total. Under is minus 115. On the juicy, over is minus 105. For Mr. Burns, he has been doing an absolutely terrific job of not allowing guys to be able to take him deep. Three home runs in over 100 innings so far this year, so he has done a nice job of being able to come in and be able to hold down the fort. He's facing off against an Atlanta Braves team that they have not been above 500 for a single day all season long. Now, you do have Ozzie Albies and Freddie Freeman. A pair of guys are able to match in the middle of the lineup with Ozzie Albies. 17 home runs, right around a 500 slugging with Freddie Freeman. 290 batting average, 23 home runs, right around 60 RBI, 390 on base. So he's been able to find it. Austin Riley has been able to do a great job as well. He's north of 20 home runs. Guillermo Redia has been able to give you a little bit of something, giving you a 323 on base. And then you've got Jock Peterson, who wound up coming over from the Chicago Cubs. He's been able to give you a double-digit amount of formers, but only right around a 300-ish on base. He's hitting about a 240. Nothing great, nothing terrible. Now, I will say for the Atlanta Braves, the bullpen has been doing a much better job for this team, but they wound up getting quite taxed yesterday. Luke Jackson, Jesse Chavez, Will Smith all wound up pitching yesterday, so that is going to be a little bit of an issue for them. I do like what you've been able to get out of Edgar Santana recently. He's been able to pick it up along Josh Shomlin. And then you take a look at the Milwaukee Brewers. This is a team that they probably won't need to go to the bullpen too much, but you've got Devin Williams and Josh Hader, the best one-two punch in the 8th and ninth inning that you're going to find in the big leagues. And take a look at Mr. Corbin Burns. He has allowed three runs over the course of his last four starts in the month of July. 27 and a third innings. He has been absolutely masterful, and if you want to go back his last five starts, he's given up a grand total of four runs. So, this is a guy that is really locked in. You take a look at what he's been able to do on the road. A puck 61 ERA. Opponents are a 184 off of him. Two home runs in 44 and two-thirds innings with five walks. It's just insane. And now for the Milwaukee Brewers, they've got Eduardo Escobar in the fold. A guy with north of 20 home runs. That'll be able to fortify this team a little bit more. And then got a trio of guys hitting between, I would say, about a 255 to a 267. Obviously, Garcia, Willie Adamas along Tyrone Taylor. And for Adamas, ever since he got to the Brewers, hitting more like a 280 double-digit amount of formers for him in a Brewers uniform. Obviously, Garcia, he's been able to go deep 17 times. Got to figure that Christian Yelich is going to be out of the fold due to COVID, but he hasn't been able to do anything with the team whatsoever. Meanwhile, Colton Wong, whenever he's at the leadoff spot, the Brewers just seem to be better. This is a Brewers team that ever since the beginning of the month of June, averaging right around five runs per game. You still have Luis Odia at your disposal as well. 335 on base. Double-digit amount of formers. Lorenzo Cain is back. Very good defender. 330 on base. So, there's a lot to like with this Milwaukee Brewers team. Tuki Tucson. Two very good starts so far this year. Buck 32 ERA. Deserves better than the 1-1 one one record he's deserved. He has won 13 and two-thirds innings in those two starts, but you take a look at how erratic he was last year and just throughout his career. This is 
someone I don't necessarily have a lot of faith in. Last season, he had a strikeout to walk rate of about a 1.9. That is his career numbers. He wound up posting up an 888 ERA. I'm just not sold on two starts at this point. I think that the Brewers are going to be able to get to him. I think that the Brewers should be a sizable favorite. So we're going to be riding with the crew. Set the total at 7.6, so I'm going to be diving under as well. 909-910 on the bang board. The LA Dodgers are going to be hitting the road face off against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Zach Allen is going to be going for the D-backs. Tony Gonsolin is going to be on the bump for the Dodgers. Dodgers are finding themselves anywhere between a minus 174 and a minus 190. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the D-backs, anywhere between plus 159 and plus 165 is what you're getting on them. And for Zach Gallen, he has been very good. About 85% of his career starts. He has allowed three runs or fewer. Things have not necessarily been so rosy for him this year, though. A lot of it is because he's backed up by a team that... Let's call it what it is. They absolutely stink. He's got a 480 ERA. He's given up right around 1.3 home runs per nine innings. And really the main thing for Zach Gallen, the walks, 4.6 walks per nine innings. That's a little bit of a concern. And for Tony Gonsolin, that's a concern with him as well. This is a guy that's giving out over five walks per nine innings. But I will say this for Mr. Gonsolin. He has made eight total starts and one long relief appearance for this team. And he has given up one run or fewer in all but one of them. So he's been able to do a nice job there. This is someone that is doing a good job of being able to get some swings and misses as well. Generating right around 11 punch outs per nine innings. You take a look at what he's been able to do on the road so far this year. And he's got a buck 98 ERA now in a small sample size. But you take a look at the Dodgers as well. What is hurting this team is that they're going to the bullpen for so many innings. It looks like they're going to be acquiring some starting pitching, but as it stands right now, you're having to rely upon someone like a Bursuter Gradall who on a pitching yesterday, you can tell is clearly not right. You've got Phil Bickford who has been able to do a solid job out of the bullpen, but he's starting to wear down a little bit as well. You've been able to get some good production out of guys like Blake Tryon and company. And for the Dodgers, this is still a good lineup, but Mookie Betts being out of the fold, that certainly does hurt them. You've got A.J. Pollock, Albert Pools, Justin Turner down for what? Max Muncy, Chris Taylor. I believe everyone other than Pools, at least 13 home runs so far this year, but you had to give Billy McKinney quite a few starts recently due to the injuries. That's not necessarily a place where you want to be. Cody Bellinger is hitting a buck 60 for this bunch, but then you take a look at Mr. Turner down for what? 385 on base, 18 home runs. Max Muncy, he wound up missing a little bit last week due to paternity leave. He's got 22 home runs for this team, so by and large, you still have a lot of pieces that you're able to rely upon. And now for the Arizona Diamondbacks, you're without the only guy that was hitting for more than 10 home runs so far this year. The other guy with a double-digit amount of home runs, Josh Rojas, has been out of the full due to injury. So, you take a look at what they trotted out there against the Rangers on Wednesday. You had one guy in the lineup hitting above a 250 with David Peralta hitting a 253. Nobody with a double-digit amount of homers. This is a team that they do not walk a lot. They've got an absolutely terrible bullpen. Now, I will say Tyler Clippard, Joaquin Soria, they're trying to turn back time. They're giving you a little bit of something along June. Man at Tipoli, but I mean, when you've got guys that started out the year as starters and are just being really twisted with whether or not they're going to be a long reliever or a starter, like a Jake Faria, like you even throw in there, Matt Peacock, these guys just have absolutely no rhythm whatsoever. I think that this is a terrible spot for the Arizona Diamondbacks, and again, at this point, what is a good spot for the Arizona Diamondbacks? I wound up saying the Dodgers as a very sizable favorite. If you're taking a look at them on the run line, you're finding that anywhere between a minus 125 and a minus 130. I am very comfortable laying about a minus 125-ish here with the LA Dodgers. And I wound up saying them on the money line as more like a minus 188 favorite with a total of 9.4. So we're going to be going over along that Dodgers run line. 9-11, 9-12 on the main board. The San Diego Padres are going to be playing against the Colorado Rockies. 55 Shades of John Gray is going to be going for the Rocks. 
Ryan Weathers is going to be on the bump for the Padres. Padres find themselves as anywhere between minus 174 and minus 180 favorites, seeing a straight minus 173 out there as well. Plus price here with Colorado is anywhere between plus 155 and plus 163. 8.5 is your total. Under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Over is between even and minus 110 for the Rockies. This is a bunch that is 5 and 6 in their last 11 games on the road, which doesn't sound great, but considering they started out the year 6 and 31 on the road, it's actually been pretty darn good. You've got a Rockies team that they hit right around a 205 as a collective on the road. That's not great, but the last time they went to San Diego, they took the last two games of the series, and John Gray has been able to do a good job in his last couple road starts. You take a look at them, it combined three runs given up across 11 innings against the LA Dodgers and the San Diego Padres. Those are not bum teams, ladies and gentlemen, so he's been able to do a good job there. You take a look at John Gray overall for the year. Deserves a little bit better than the 1-4 and four road record. 443 RA isn't great, isn't terrible. He's given up less than a home run per nine innings. Now, opponents are going to get 282 off of him when he's on the road at home. That's only a buck 69. I think that that's going to even out a little bit. Meanwhile, you take a look at Ryan Weathers. Whenever this guy gets stretched out to, I would say, five plus innings, it just has not gone well for him. He's really good in three to four inning doses. And with the San Diego Padres, this is a bunch in which they have been able to do a great job with their bullpen. Now, they've utilized their bullpen for the most slash second most innings out there in the National League, but they've got a top five bullpen ERA out there in the league. Emilio Pagan has been getting hit around a little bit too much, but when you take a look at what you've been able to get out of someone like Pierce Johnson, that's very good. Sub three ERA, Austin Adams has been good for this team. You've even got someone like Craig Salmon who's able to give you multiple innings. Sub two six ERA, Mark Melanson leading the league in saves. So you've got a whole lot going on there. And then when you take a look at this Padres lineup, yeah, wind up adding the National League leader in hits in Adam Frazier, and he's a guy that is sort of one that can be left on the bench from time to time. It's just absolutely insane. You take a look at what they trotted out there yesterday. Trent Grisham, Tommy Pham, Jake Cronenworth, Will Myers, all between 11 and 13 home runs. All these guys hitting between, I would say, about a 254 and a 260, aside from Cronenworth, who's hitting more like a 275. Manny Machado is hitting a 280, 18 home runs. Since the month of June, he has been white out. Fernando Tatis Jr., he has won team 31 times so far this year. He does lead the league in airs. You want to be keeping that in mind when it comes to totals, but 23 stolen bases, hitting a 290. You've got a whole lot of firepower when it comes to the San Diego Padres team, and I think that's going to be an interesting one to say the least because the Rockies have actually had some success against the San Diego Padres. I'm willing to take them as long as I'm able to get a plus 163 or greater. We have barely gotten to a plus 163 with the Colorado Rockies, so I'm going to be willing to bite and take a shot here, and I'm also going to be setting this all at 8.2 with the way that the Rockies have been averaging right around 2.8 runs per game on the road. That is by far the fewest out there in the big league, so diving under along with the Rockies. 9-13, 9-14 on the betting board. The Kansas City Royals hit the road to face off against the Toronto Blue Jays, and this game is actually going to be in Toronto. Thank goodness gracious, Ross Stripling going to be on the bump for the Blue Jays. Meanwhile, Daniel Lynch on the one for the Kansas City Royals. Royals are finding themselves as big underdogs. Anywhere between plus 170 and plus 177. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Blue Jays, anywhere between minus 190 and minus $2, 10.5 to 11 is your total. On the 11, under is between minus 115 and minus 120. Over is between minus 105 and even. Under 10.5, over is between minus 110 and minus 120. Under is anywhere between even and minus 110. Ross Stripling has had a little bit of an up and down year. The deep ball has certainly earned him, and he's gone up against the Kansas City Royals team that they're one of the bottom teams in the big leagues at being able to get home runs on the road, so that is something that is going to be in his favor, but still, he's given up right around two home runs per nine innings. Walks per nine at right around 2.8. That's not necessarily too bad. He's given you nine and a half strikeouts per nine innings, but you take a look at his counterpart, Mitch Stewart, Daniel Lynch. He has made four career starts. He has allowed at least three runs in three of them. Now, he wound up throwing a gem against the Detroit Tigers his last time out. Eight scoreless innings. 
I think that that was just the case of the Detroit Tigers having a little bit of an off day rather than him actually being good now. This is someone that has not necessarily given up the deep ball as well with this high ERA. He's given up just one home run in his 16 innings, but you take a look at a team that you don't want to be facing if you're a young pitcher trying to build confidence. It is the Toronto Blue Jays as this team is just full of landmines, including Flagger Jr., a man with 33 home runs, north of 65 RBI, a 430 on base. He does a great job for you. Marcus Simeon has 23 home runs. He's got about a 275 batting average. Boba Shett, along with Teoscar Hernandez. Pair of guys hitting north of a 290. Pair of guys with 15 plus home runs. Randall Gritchick has been able to leave the yard 19 times so far this year. Santiago Espinal hitting a 325. George Springer is all of a sudden starting to find it. He's got a 350 on base. And then you take a look at the flip side for the Royals. You would be able to get Salvador Perez going. He has had an amazing year. 25 home runs, 280 batting average, 65 RBI. And then Carlos Santana has right around, I would say, about a 350 to a 360 on base. A lot of guys hitting between, I would say, about a 265 to a 280 in this lineup as well. Nicky Lopez, Whit Merrifield, you're able to throw in there. Andrew Benatendi, whenever he's been healthy. And so Roberto has fallen a little bit below that, but a lot of guys are able to give you a tad bit of something there. Ore Soler has gotten white out as well. This is a man that was badly underachieving to begin the year. He's now been able to give the team six home runs in their last eight games, so he is starting to improve for this team as well, but I take a look at the bullpen. Josh Shamout has certainly been faltering recently for this team. You've also got a guy in Richard Lovelady that I have absolutely no faith in whatsoever. Domingo Tapio, Kyle Zimmer. These are guys I don't necessarily think are going to be great. Scott Barlow and Jake Brents have been able to give you a tad bit of something, and when you take a look at the Blue Jays, this is a team that they're probably not going to be trading at the deadline for bullpen pieces because they wound up doing so earlier in the year, acquiring Trevor Richards from the Milwaukee Brewers, Adam Simber from the Miami Marlins. A pair of guys have been very good out there in this bullpen. Ryan Baruki is able to give you a couple solid innings as well. Going to be interesting to see how they wind up using him moving forward. And Taylor Sacito, right around a buck fifty ERA. So I like what these guys are able to bring to the table. I think that it should lead to the Blue Jays being a very sizable favorite. If you're looking at them on the run line, I'm seeing them anywhere between a minus 105 and minus 115. I always want to lay up to a minus 115 with the Blue Jays on the run line, so I'm going to be biting on that. I want to make them minus 186 on the actual money line. Did set this all at 9.6. I do think that it is going to be a little bit of early game jitters for the Blue Jays because they are going to be in front of their home faithful, and this is a little bit more of a pitcher-friendly ballpark as well with the dome being on it, so I'm going to be going under a lot with the Blue Jays on the run line. 9-15, 9-16 on the bank board. The Baltimore Orioles hit the road to face off against the Detroit Tigres. Tyreek Skubal is going to be going for the Tigres. You've got our good buddy Matt Harvey on the bump for the Baltimore Orioles. 9.5 to 10 is your total. On the 10, over and under are both at minus 110. On the 9.5, over is between minus 110 and minus 115. Under is between minus 105 and minus 110 with the Orioles. Find them anywhere between plus 130 and plus 132 with the Tigers. Anywhere between minus 140 and minus 150 for Tariq Skubal. He has been able to do a really solid job ever since he wound up having a terrible month of April in which I believe that he wound up losing all five of his starts like in the actual decision. Not just the team loss it. He wound up getting the loss on the decision. So that was really bad. Ever since then, I believe that the team is 8-6 and six in his last 14 starts. So he certainly has been able to find it now. He is coming off a start in which was not necessarily what he was looking for. Giving up five runs against the Kansas City Royals. And for that matter, he's given up at least five runs in three out of his last four starts. Giving up six home runs here in the month of July across four starts and a 573 ERA this month. Prior to that, he wound up having a 3-3 ERA or lower in the month of May and June. So he was able to do that. And 
For Matt Harvey, he actually comes in in really good form. Wound up pitching six scoreless innings against the Washington Nationals and the Kansas City Royals. How real is that, though, is a question, as he had given up three-plus runs in five out of his previous six starts, and if you're wanting to go a little bit further than that, he had given up at least three runs in ten out of his previous twelve. So... You've got perhaps a little bit of a small sample size against a Nationals and a Royals team in which, well, they've had their ups and downs this year to say the least. And for Harvey, just 6.8 strikeouts per nine innings. Meanwhile, you take a look at Tariq Skubal. He's been able to give you more like 10.2 strikeouts per nine innings. Now, Skubal has given up 22 home runs so far this year, but so many of those wound up coming in the month of April as well. And this is a Tigers bullpen that they certainly have had their faults throughout the season, but at the same time, they've been able to really improve. Kyle Funkhauser has been able to bring the funk for the team they wound up having to use up Jose Cicero yesterday, but it's still a team that you're able to get a little bit of something out of someone like Erasmo Ramirez if you wind up needing multiple innings. Gregory Soto has been able to do a great job. Tyler Alexander, you got to figure, is now in a starter's role. And for the Baltimore Orioles, you have been able to get a little bit of something out of Cole Solzer along Tanner Scott. These guys have been aces out of the bullpen. Dylan Tate is able to give you a tad bit of something along with Paul Fry, but now you're using guys like Sean Anderson and Tom Eshelman as long relievers, and that's not necessarily too terrific. What is terrific, though? What Jonathan Scope has been able to do since the beginning of the month of June, hitting well above a 300 in that time span. He has been able to give you 17 home runs so far this year, so you'd love to see that. How about Miguel Cabrera going deep twice yesterday? He's now hitting a 250 for the year, and he's got a double-digit amount of homers. Eric Haas hitting a 250. He entered into yesterday with 17 home runs. Got a lot of guys with between, I would say, about a 345 and a 360 on base. Akil Badu, Robbie Grossman, Jamir Candelario, and then you've got a 411 on base with Derek Hill as well. And then you take a look at the Baltimore Orioles. Offense has not necessarily been an issue with this team. They have been actually doing a relatively solid job recently. Ramon Odias is hitting a 280 for this team. Ryan Mountcastle along with Austin Vesey's kid in between a 240 and a 250 with Trey Boomer Mancini, Cedric Mullins along with Mountcastle. All these guys between 16 and 19 home runs so far this year. And for Cedric Mullins, he's got a 320 batting average. He's been able to get the job done now. The guys at the bottom have been really bad. DJ Stewart, Ryan McKenna, Domingo Leyva, Austin Wins, Stevie Wilkerson, the no longer on the roster, Chance Sisko, all these guys, a 210 or lower, so it has certainly been a hot mess there, and I take a look at this, I do think that Scooble is going to be able to bounce back, I think that Matt Harvey's recent surge was a little bit of an admiration, so I said this all at 10.1, I want to make in the Tigers a minus 183 favorite on the money line, if you're looking at them on the run line, you're going to be finding them right around a plus 125, even a plus 130. I am all aboard that. We're going to be taking the Tigers on the run line, and I'm going to be taking this total over 917-918 on the bank board. The Boston Red Sox are throwing to face off against the Tampa Bay Rays. Josh Fleming is going to be going for the Rays. Martin Perez is going to be on the bump for the Red Sox. Red Sox between plus 120 and plus 126 underdogs. If you're looking at the Rays, between minus 136 and minus 140 is your price. 9 to 8.5 is your total. On the NF, over is minus 120. The under is even. On the 9, over and under are both at minus 110. I take a look at this, and I think that this is a little bit too much love for the Tampa Bay Rays, a team that I really liked, but I was willing to take the Red Sox if I was getting anything above a plus 120, seeing that plus 126 makes me perk up a little bit because you've got to be looking at Martin Perez differently when he's at Fenway versus when he's on the road. Now with Perez, he has been pretty darn consistent. He has given up approximately three runs in each out of his last three starts with between one and two home runs, given up in each of them, but he has avoided the big giant blow-up in each out of his last seven starts. He has given up three runs or fewer, so it's been nothing great. It's been nothing terrible. And on the road, 247 ERA, 
4-2 record. Across 8 starts, he has given up 3 home runs. Across 43 and 2 thirds innings, and opponents are in 245 off of him. When he's at home, that balloons a 333 with the batting average and the ERA is north of 5. Now, the Red Sox got completely destroyed yesterday. You wind up having to throw out their position players. It was just not pretty, but you do have quite a few guys in this lineup that are able to hit. You are bringing up Connor Wong, who has been able to give this team a little bit of something. He, Alex Verdugo, hitting between a 270 and a 280 for this bunch. Gotta love what you've been able to get out of Rafael Devers, north of 80 RBI so far this year. He is threatening 30 home runs at this point. Christian Vasquez is hitting a 250 on a Renfro, a 255, and for Renfro, 15 home runs. Wound up having a grand slam last week against the Blue Jays, so he has been able to get it done. Now, you're still waiting a little bit on Jaron Duran, but I've seen some good signs out of him, despite the fact that he's hitting below the Mendoza line of 200. Kike Hernandez has been able to give the team quite a few home runs in the last two weeks, as well as Andrew Bogart's J.D. Martinez. A pair of guys hitting north of a 290, and a pair of guys with 15 to 20 home runs apiece, so you do like to see that now. With the Boston Red Sox here to Kazus Automoda, has been able to do a very good job coming out of the bullpen. Darwinson Hernandez, I think he's doing for a little bit of regression at Amadovino, though. He is solid. Phillips Valdez got used up yesterday, but having him back in the fold, that certainly helps them. Matt Barnes has been able to do a good job in the back half. And for the Tampa Bay Rays, Diego Castillo wound up getting traded, which I thought was a little bit surprising, but you still have quite a few guys that you're able to rely upon in this bullpen. Jeffrey Springs is someone that I do like. Matt Weisler, ever since he wound up coming over in a trade earlier this year, has been solid. Andrew Kutrich, a sub to ERA, so it's a little bit interesting that the Rays are in transition with his bullpen, and that has me a little bit concerned because with Josh Fleming, when he's been used as an actual starter, he has not been as good as when they've used an opener from. Last two times in which they've used an opener from, he has given up a combined one earned run in his last six innings. Meanwhile, the last three times he has been used as an actual starter, he has given up a combined 15 earned runs, and that is over the course of 14 and two-thirds innings, so he is vastly different in this role, and I think that it's really going to hurt him a little bit now with the Tampa Bay Rays. This is a team that they wanted putting up two touchdowns yesterday against the New York Yankees. I can assure you, they're not putting up two touchdowns. Once again, you've got a pair of guys in Yandy Diaz along G-Man Choi in between a 253 and a 265. pair of guys with an on-base percentage over 100 points higher than their batting average. Austin Meadows has been able to do a terrific job for this team. Now 20 homers, he has been able to supply north of 75 RBI. 243 batting average with 330 on-base. Randy Odozarena is a guy that's sitting right around 260, 335 on-base for him as well. Nelson Cruz on the foot for the team has been missing the last couple days, but they haven't needed him because you've got Mike Zanino along with Brandon Lau. pair of guys that are not necessarily doing a great job with the batting average, but a pair of guys with 19-22 to 22 home runs, so they've been able to supply the boom there. I do take a look at this spot, though, and I do think that the Reds are a little bit underpriced, especially with the Tampa Bay Rays selling off a couple bullpen pieces, which was a little bit of a surprise to me. This is a situation in which I wound up taking the Boston Red Sox. I needed anything above a plus 120, was able to get there. Also set this old 9.5, so we're going to be going over along with the Sox. 919-920 on the bang board. The Seattle Mariners hit the road face off against the Texas Rangers. Kobe Allard is going to be going for the Rangers. Right now on ESPN, I am seeing Logan Gilbert going for the Mariners. Right now, the betting board does not have anyone listed for the Seattle Mariners, so this is a game that is presently off the board. If it is Gilbert versus Allard, I'm going to be setting the Seattle Mariners as a minus 148 favorite and a total of 9.1, so a 9 or lower. I'd be taking a look at the over 9.5 or higher. I'd be taking a look at the under now. I am fully aware that the Texas Rangers have scored four runs or fewer and now 14 out of their last 15 games. 
This is more a play in which I think that the Seattle Mariners are going to be able to get to the Texas Rangers. So you take a look at Kobe Allard. He deserves better than a 2-8 and eight record. He's got a 471 ERA. His home runs per nine, that is high. About 1.6 home runs per nine innings. He's giving up south of two walks per nine innings, but you take a look at the recent form, and he has given up at least three runs in each out of his last five starts. He has given up at least four runs in each out of his last four starts. In his last two starts, he has given up a grand total of 12 runs in five and a third innings and four innings across those two starts. So, is that great? Oh, no, by the way, he's given up six home runs in his last three starts. So, this is not necessarily terrific. At home, he's been better than on the road. A 360 home ERA, a 606 road ERA, and he has given up seven home runs in 40 innings at home with opponents hitting at 204. I think that he's been getting a little bit lucky with that regard. Meanwhile, you take a look at Logan Gilbert. The Mariners have won each out of his last 10 starts, which is just absolute magic. I have no idea how they're doing it, but he has went fewer than three innings in two out of his last five starts as well, which means that you're going to have to rely upon a bullpen that has been fortified a little bit. They do wind up trading away Kendall Graveman, but they have been able to add a couple other pieces, so it has been very interesting to watch this. They now have Joe Smith out there in the bullpen. It looks like they might be picking up Diego Castillo. Probably wouldn't be available for this game, but you are going to have Keenan Middleton available. When he's not used as an opener, he's actually been very solid. I love what you've been able to get out of Paul Sewald as well. Eric Swanson is a guy with a sub 0-5 ERA. Drew's second rider. He's been able to give you some good production as well. And for the Seattle Mariners, what is really the bugaboo of this team is the fact that they just have the worst batting average out there in the league. You take a look at what they wound up throwing out there against the Houston Astros in their previous game. You had in the starting lineup three guys with a batting average that was north of a 220. Ty France, who's been able to hit about a 275 for the team. J.P. Crawford, a 270 with a 330 on base. And Mitch Hanniger, who's been absolutely amazing for Hanniger, 25 home runs. And I will say, for Kyle Seager, even though he's hitting a 217, he does have 21 home runs. Abraham Toro, ever since he wound up coming over from the Astros, he's got two home runs in two games. So, I mean, he's getting a home run a game. You can't hate on that. But then you got, along with those guys, Jared Kelnick, Tom Murphy, Jake Bowers, Dylan Moore, Shed Long, Jorge Mamaloes, who has not been seen in about an eon and a half. All these guys hitting a sub-220 for the team, so that is a little bit unsightly as well, but the good news is they face a Texas Rangers team that their top home run hitter in Adolis Garcia has hit about six home runs in the team's last 65 days, so it's not been going well from Isaiah Kinnear Falefa along with Adolis Garcia. You're able to throw in their Nate Law as well. Hitting between a 250 and a 260 for the team. Nobody else in the lineup in their last game on Wednesday against the Arizona Diamondbacks hitting above a 229 for the team. Charlie Culberson along with Andy Ibanez, both hitting at 229, but then you've got Eli White hitting below the Mendoza line of 200. You've got Jason Martin hitting a buck 37. Jose Trevino right around 225. David Dell has been a big disappointment, and for the Texas Rangers, this is a bullpen that is not necessarily too terrific, but able to get some good innings. Uh, Ian Kennedy, Brett Martin, Spencer Penn, these guys have been able to come in, but this is also a team that they've been making a couple trades as well, so they're a little bit depleted with that regard, so setting the Seattle Mariners as a sizable favorite, if it is Gilbert versus Allard, would be setting them at minus 148 and a 9 or lower would be taking a look at the over. 9 and a fryer would be taking a look at the under. 921-922 on the betting board. The Cleveland Indians set the road to face off against the Chicago White Sox. Lance Lynn going to be going for the Sox. John Carlos Mejia is on the bump for the Cleveland Indians. 8.5 is your total. Over is between minus 110 and minus 120. Under is between even and minus 110. White Sox very big favorites. Anywhere between a minus 194 and a minus 210. Plus price here with the Indians. Anywhere between plus 175 and plus 180. 
For Giancarlo Spina, it has been a bad year for him, and that's putting it politely. Now, the good news is he is backed up by a very good bullpen. Emmanuel Classe, James Karinchek have been very good for the team, throwing their Nick Sandlin, Brian Shaw, Nick Wickren has had a tough year, but by and large, you've got a lot of good bullpen pieces. question is, are you going to be able to get competent innings out of John Carlos Mia. I'm not even going to call it good innings at this point. I'm going to call them competent. He's giving up north of two home runs per nine innings. His walks per nine, that is a number that's right around three and a half. Now, he's giving you nine strikeouts per nine innings, but the team has lost each out of his last four starts as he has given up at least four runs in every one of them and has won four and a third innings or fewer in three of them. It has been absolutely terrible, and this is someone that has also given up a grand total of seven home runs in those last four starts. He has just been a hot mess. That's putting it politely. Meanwhile, you've got Lance Lynn, who I will say he's got to be in the American League Cy Young hunt at this point. He's been a little bit worse on the road than he has been at home. At home, Buck 50 ERA, a 6-2 record. In 66 innings, he's given up seven home runs, so a little bit under a home run per nine innings. And this should get the Indians excited. He is allowing opponents to hit a buck 69 off of him at home. You take a look at the Cleveland Indians, they were able to get things cooking a little bit, but now they've traded away Cesar Hernandez, a guy that has been able to give the team 18 home runs so far this year. You are still left with some very good pieces, though. Bradley Zimmer, Harold Ramirez, Framil Reyes, Jose Ramirez, Amid Rosario. All in between a 250 and a 269 for Framil Reyes. About a home run every 11 to 12 at bats. He has been able to do a great job for this team. Jose Ramirez has been able to give you 22 home runs, 60 RBI, but you've got Austin Edges, Yu Chang. Ernie Clement, bunch of guys hitting at 225 or lower for the team. And then when you take a look at the flip side for the White Sox, you're probably not going to need your bullpen a heck of a lot in this spot, but you've been able to get some good innings off Ryan Burr. Ever since Aaron Bummer has come off the injured list, he was a little bit shaky at the front. Now he's looking like the Aaron Bummer of old. Jose Ruiz has right around 3 ERA, Liam Hendricks. I know he's been a little bit shaky the last week or so, but by and large, has been able to get the job done for the team. So I did wind up saying the White Sox as a very sizable favorite in this spot. I want to make them on the money line a minus 197. On the run line, I was willing to lay up to about a minus 125-ish with this team. Currently, I'm seeing that more around a minus 110, so we're going to be riding with that White Sox run line when it comes to the total set at 8.3 because I think that Lance Lynn going to be able to shut down the Cleveland Indians. So going under along the White Sox run line, 923-924 on the betting board. The Oakland A's hit the road to face off against the LA Angels. Patrick Sandoval is going to be going for the Angels. Chris Bassett as the hook line and sinker for the Oakland A's. A's are finding themselves as favorites here. Any warp team, minus 117, minus 125. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Angels, any warp team, plus 105 and plus 111. And your total on this game is 8.5. Over is any warp team, minus 110 and minus 120. The under is any warp team, even at minus 110. With Patrick Sandoval, he's coming off of that no-hit bid. They wound up having against the Minnesota Twins. Wound up falling just a couple of short, but has been able to do a very nice job for the sponge by and large. And then you take a look at Chris Bassett. This guy has been as steady as they come. A gentleman that has posted up a 346 ERA, 130 innings, so he's towards the top of the list. He's giving up right in the neighborhood of about a home run per nine innings, nine strikeouts per nine innings as well. His walks per nine is sub two and a half, so he's been able to do a great job now. On the road, he's been a little bit more shaky than at home, a 411 road ERA, but he has yet to lose a decision whenever he's pitched on the road in 12 starts, 6-0 record. He has opponents hitting about a 235 off of him whenever he is away from Oakland, and it's getting more like 9.7 strikeouts per nine innings. You take a look at Patrick Sandoval, his home runs per nine rate is a little bit high, right around a 1.3, and has actually been a little bit worse at home than he has been on the road. A 1-3 record with a 379 ERA at home, and he also has a save, so 
It's very interesting from your starter, but has given up seven or months over the course of 38 innings, but opponents are in just a 219 off of them as well. When you take a look at this Oakland A's team, they are a tad bit intriguing because you've got a lot of guys that they do a good job of being able to get on base, but they don't necessarily have the world's greatest batting average. You've got now Starling Marte of the Marte Parte in the full Dubon making his debut yesterday. Right around 409 base for this team. You've got Matt Olson along with Mark Canna, pair of guys with between a 370 and a 385 on base, pair of guys that will be able to give you a double digit on form runs, headlined by Olson being able to give you 27. Got a lot of guys with between, I would say, about 13 to 11-ish home runs. You're able to throw in there Seth Brown, Sean Murphy, Matt Chapman, Ramon Laureano as well, Alvis Andrews. After having a very bad start to the year, he's been able to pick it up a little bit. Here in the month of July, he's hitting right around 250 with nearly a 300 on base. So, still not great, but at the same time, he's able to give you a little bit of something in them with the LA Angels. Oh yeah, they've got that guy by the name of Shoei Otani that's right now leading the league in home runs with a 280 batting average now. Not having Jared Walsh out there, I think is actually a big deal. He's a guy that's giving you 20 plus home runs. Want to make in that nice sliding catch in the All-Star game, David Fletcher though. Ever since the beginning of the month of June, he's hitting right around 8340. Jose Iglesias is hitting a 280 as well. Getting back Justin Upton is big as well. Prior to him going on the injured list, this guy was white hot. You take a look at what he was able to do in the month of June. He was putting up right around a 338 batting average with a 463 on base. Now, it was a little bit of small sample sizes he wound up getting put on the injured list towards the end of that month, but he's been able to give you a 15 home run so far this year. Phil Gosselin, 295 batting average where the LA Angels are out kicked. That would be the bullpen because this is a team that they always neglect to add pitching. Steve Ciszek has been able to do a relatively okay job for you. Rossi Iglesias has been able to do a nice job out of the bullpen as well. But Tony Watson is a guy that I don't necessarily have a lot of faith in. Mike Myers right around a 434 ERA. Seems like it should be higher. Junior Guerra right around a 5-ish ERA. And then with the Oakland A's, they've been able to do a very good job out of their bullpen. You've got Andrew Chafin who winds coming in from the Cubs right around a 2-ish ERA. Deolis Carrera has been a little bit up and down recently. But it's been able to give you some good innings. Lou Trevino has been able to give you right around 2-1 ERA. Yes, Meadow Petit is able to give you multiple innings as well. So I do take a look at this spot. I do think that the Oakland A's should be a sizable favorite. I set them at minus 144 and I wound up making this total in 8.3. So we're going to be diving under along with the Oakland A's. 925-926 on the betting board. The New York Yankees hit the road face off against the Miami Marlins. Zach Thompson is going to be going for the fish. Jameson Dion is going to be going for the Yankees. The Yankees find themselves as favorites of between minus 142 and minus 150. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the fishies, we're between plus 130 and plus 135. 8 to 8 is your total on the 8.5. Under is minus 115. The over is minus 105. On the 8, over and under. Anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. Thompson has actually been able to do a very good job for the Miami Marlins. We were talking about this with our good friend Sharky Waters Nation, but you take a look at Mr. Thompson. Despite the 2-3 and three record, he's giving you right around 10 strikeouts per 9 innings. He's allowed 2 home runs in 33 innings. The ERA is a 2.45, and he's given up 3 runs or fewer in every one of his 7 starts. So, this is a guy that's been able to deliver for you 5-plus innings and now 3 out of his last 4, so he seems to be stretched out. Meanwhile, with Jameson Tyon, we were mentioning his home and road splits. This is a guy that at home has been very solid. 4-1 and one record, 3.26 ERA. On the road, 2-3 and three record, and he has given up right around two home runs per nine innings on the road and opponents are earning a 280 off of him when he's away from Yankee Stadium, 221 when he's in Yankee Stadium. With the Yankees, this is a team that they did wind up trading away Luis Sessa from the bullpen. They have been making a whole bunch of moves recently. They bring in Clay Holmes and Sal Romano. A pair of guys with five ERAs to try to fortify this bullpen. I don't know how that's necessarily going to work out for them. It does look like Aroldis Chapman is back to his old self. They do get back Zach Britton. He has been a little bit shaky since coming off the injury list. I fully expect him to be able to give you a little bit of something. But then you take a look at the Yankees as well. You were expecting a little bit more out of Garrett Cole yesterday. And by that, I mean you expected him to not give up eight runs, seven of which were earned. So that really puts them behind the eight ball. 
That was not necessarily good, and then you wind up having Albert Abreu give up six runs without giving you a single out. Now, you take a look at the lineup of this team. They are going to be bringing in Joey Gallo. Not all because of left-handed inning. Was sitting right around the Mendoza line with a combined 22 home runs. Gallo himself has more than 22 home runs, but he's an all-or-nothing hitter, and with the Yankees, what has really been hurting this team is the fact that they just have been hitting a bunch of solo shots and really nothing else. So, I really do question that move a little bit. You've got Aaron Judge, he's been able to give you 21 home runs. He's got a 377 on base. Got a couple constants with this team. DJ LeMayu, John Carlos Sen, along with Gleyber Torres, between 332 and 350. Two on bases, but with Gleyber Torres, he only had six home runs so far this season. You take a look at some of these guys, Kyle Gashioka, Tyler Wade, along with Brett Gardner, throwing there Ryan Lamar as well. All these guys are in below the Mendoza line of a 200. You've been able to get Greg Allen to be able to give you some good production. And Esteban Florel has been able to hit a 300. That's in a very small sample size, though. And then you take a look at the flip side for the Miami Marlins. This is a team that they wound up selling off the Marte Parte of Starling Marte, so... That's a little bit unfortunate, but you've had Asus Aguiar and Adam Duvall be very good for this team. For Aguiar, hitting right around 270. For Duvall, he's only hitting a 230. But for Duvall, north of 20 home runs, Aguiar, 18 home runs, 75 RBI. Miguel Ross is made with right around 270 for this team. You've been giving a couple appearances to Devin Marrero, and he's actually been able to do a very good job for this team. I trust him a whole heck of a lot more than guys like Luis Diaz. I always love to be able to bring up Monte Harrison, who I remember hitting like a buck fifty for the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers several years ago. So you got a lot of guys that you don't necessarily trust in with that regard. Sandy Leon is a good one as well, but you have been able to get a little bit of something out of Brian Anderson since he wound up coming off the injured list as well. And I realize that the Miami Marlins have sold off a couple pieces, but you take a look at this bullpen. Dylan Flora has been very good for them. Yimi Garcia is no longer available, but Richard Blyer, John Curtis with two S's, Anthony Bender. These guys would be able to get the job done. I feel like the Marlins should be an underdog, but I don't think that they should be this big of an underdog. I was in on them as long as I was able to get north of a plus 130. That's what we are finding right now. So the solid 8.2 as well. So I'm taking the over along with the fish. 927-928 on the big board. The St. Louis Cardinals are going to be playing us to the Minnesota Twins. Jose Barrios is going to be going for the Twins. Meanwhile, you've got Wade LeBlanc who's going to be going for the Cardinals. Anywhere between minus 120 and minus 130 is what you're finding the Twins at. Between a plus 110 and a plus 112 is your price on the cards. 8.5 is your total. Under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. Over is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. And for Wade LeBlanc, he actually hasn't been too terrible in the uniform of the St. Louis Cardinals, which has been a surprise for me. 36-year-old has been able to find a little bit of something, but I think that he has no match for Mr. Jose Barrios, who has actually been able to have a better ERA on the road than he has been able to at home. Guy that's able to give you right around 9 strikeouts per 9 innings. Now, on the road, he's got right around a 368 ERA, Mr. Barrios does, and it looks like now his home ERA is a little bit better than his road ERA, but typically you'd see drastic splits from him. You aren't seeing that so much as here. Opponents are in, uh, about a 227 off of Barrios whenever he's been on the road. Meanwhile, you take a look at LeBlanc, 345 ERA ever since he joined the Cardinals. Deep ball has been a little bit of an issue. He's given up north of two home runs per nine innings, right around 3.2 walks per nine innings. But by and large, he's been able to give you some halfway decent starts. He has given up three runs or fewer in each out of his last five starts now. Had the luxury of going up against a couple of favorable teams. The Arizona Diamondbacks are certainly in that mix. You wind up playing against the Colorado Rockies as well, so he has been able to benefit a little bit from that, but by and large, he has been able to give this team some solid innings. When you take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals, you do have a trio of guys they're able to trust in out of the bullpen. You've got Genesis Cabrera, Giovanni Gallegos, along with Alex Reyes. The Millers, Andrew and Justin Miller, have not necessarily been great, especially Justin Miller. He's got north of a 10 ERA. Why, he's 
getting innings is anyone's guess, but you do take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals. The lineup has not necessarily been too terrific. They have been one of the best under teams ever since the beginning of the month of June, and the reason why is because they just don't have a lot of guys that are driving them in. You've got quite a few guys hitting between, I would say, about a 252, a 269. You've got Umando Soso, who's just below that, and then you've got Tyler O'Neill, Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, Dylan Carlson, Yadier Molina, Tommy Edmond. And what you've been able to get out of Paul Goldschmidt recently has been very good. You take a look at what he's been able to do here in the month of July. He's hitting a 326. He's been able to pound out a high six home runs for any month so far this year. So he's been able to do his job. Nolan Arenado along Tyler O'Neill. pair of guys have been able to go deep quite a bit. Arenado, 20 home runs. Tyler O'Neill has been stuck on 17 for quite a while, but he's been able to give you a tad bit of something as well. He's been a little bit banged up. Matt Carpenter, he just looks like a shell of himself at this point. Paul DeYoung has been able to give you a tad bit of something, but it certainly has been herky-jerky. Then you take a look at the Minnesota Twins. This is a team that they have Nelson Cruz out of the fold, but they were able to get going against the Detroit Tigers. Their last game, they wound up getting seven home runs. Miguel Sano has been able to give you 17 so far this year. Now hitting above the Mendoza line of 200, so that's a good sign. You've got Williams, Estadio, along with Nick Gordon, and you're able to throw in there Ore Palanco as well. Josh Allison will throw him in there for giggles as well between a 250 and a 266. Is their batting average, and for Donaldson, he's been able to give you 15 home runs, so been able to get a little bit of something there. Trevor Larnish, after having a good start to the year, he's outlining right around a 230, so regression has set in there. Team has gotten back. A couple guys that have been injured all year long. Jake Cave along with Max Kepler. Our pair of guys that are now back in the fold. You're able to throw in their Mitch Garver as well. But none of these guys really look comfortable right now. Luis Arias is someone that has been banged up all year long. Getting right around 300. But he hasn't been seen in quite a while. And for the Minnesota Twins, this is a bullpen that is just completely gutted at this point. And so Robles is able to give you a tad bit of something. But Taylor Rogers is now on the injured list. Danny Colombe has been able to give you good innings. But Ore Alcala along Caleb Theobar. I have no faith in these guys whatsoever. A little bit of an interesting spot. Because I do think that Barrios is so much of a better starter than Wade LeBlanc. I do think that regression is going to hit, and it's going to hit hard for Wade LeBlanc. So, I did wind up setting the Twins as a sizable minus 146 favorite. So, I'm going to be going with the Twins in this spot. I also wound up setting the solo 8.6. So, we're going to be going over along the Twins and wrap things up with a big one. 929, 930 on the main board. The San Francisco Giants are going to be playing off the Houston Astros. Framber Valdez is going to be home for the Astros. Kevin Gosman going to be going for the San Francisco Giants. Since we had our chat to Sharky Waterization, the Giants have become the favorite. Anywhere between minus 113 and minus 120 is your price. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Shiro's, anywhere between even money and plus 107, 7.5 is your total. Over and under, anywhere between minus 105, minus 115. Framber Valdez is someone that I think is a very solid pitcher, but I do take a look at Kevin Gosman. I do recognize the fact that he has been faltering a little bit more in his starts recently, but by faltering, I mean he's given up two runs or fewer in three out of his last four starts. He got destroyed in his last start against the Pittsburgh Pirates, and he has been giving up the deep ball a little bit more. He's given up four home runs over his last five starts, but when you're calling that regression, that means that the guy is still pretty stinking good. You take a look at what he's done at home. Three ton ERA, so it's been a little bit high. His first start of the year, he winds up giving up five runs ever since then. It has been very much controlled. Opponents are in overall off of him at home. A buck 63 overall for the season home and road a 173 then you take a look at Valdez he's given up a little bit under a home run per nine innings the walks have been an issue for him though he's given up right around 4.3 walks per nine innings you take a look at him recently he's given up at least three runs in three out of his last four starts now I will say he's coming off of six scoreless against the Texas Rangers but at this point the Texas Rangers can't hit the broad side of a barn his home and road splits are very equal. 294 road ERA, 300 home ERA, so you don't necessarily have a lot there. And with the Houston Astros, 
as we know, this is a lineup that is pretty sinking good. You've got Michael Brandley, who's sitting right around at 330 for this team. And then you've got Carlos Correa, Kyle Tucker, Jose Altuves, L.A. Mendez Diaz. You're able to throw in there Jordan Alvarez and Yoli Gurriel. All hitting at least at 274 for this team. Other than Mr. Kyle Tucker, all with at least a 350 on base. With all these guys aside from Diaz, you've been able to get a double-digit amount of home runs out of all of them. Chaz McCormick has been able to give you 10 home runs. Miles Straw is right now giving you right around 15 stolen bases, 340 on base. So you've got a lot of that going on with the Astros. You do have a little bit of a fear with the bullpen, though. They do bring in Kendall Graveman. That is certainly going to be able to help them out. Hopefully they're not planning to use Rafael Montero too much. He's got right around a 7-ish ERA. Brian Presley has been solid for the team along with Ryan Stanek, but Burks Raley has not been good for you. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Giants. Top 5 bullpen ERA. They have been absolutely masterful all year long. They did wind up using up Jarlon Garcia yesterday, but I do like what you've been able to get out of someone like a Zach Liddell. He has come in and he's been able to do a good job for this team. They used up Dominic Leon yesterday, but only for 9 pitches, so he should be able to come back in this one. And for the San Francisco Giants, they now have Brandon Crawford back in the fold. He's been able to give you 6 RBI. He has been able to post up about a 285 batting average, 18 home runs. Mike Ustremski, right around 320 on base. Only hitting a 225, but 16 home runs for him. Austin Slater has only about a 230 batting average, but he's been able to give you some deep shots. He's got north of a 300 on base as well. Gotta love what you're able to get out of Darren Ruff and Donovan Solano. A pair of guys sitting between a 260 and a 265 for Ruff. He's been able to give you a home run every about 14 or so at bats. Plus for Posey, sitting above a 300. So I do think that the Giants should be able to get the job done. So many people are looking for holes to poke in the San Francisco Giants, but this is just a rock-solid bunch. I set them as a solid favorite. Also set this all at 7.7. So we're going with the Giants and the total over. And that will wrap things up for the Baseball Betting Podcast on this Friday. A big thanks to Sharky Waters Nation for joining me in last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you're able to subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have any questions, comments, segment idea, whatever you for this podcast, one of two ways we all fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at Jaren Scorty1. Keep in mind, letters EM. They mean does not matter. The other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to send in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast from there. We'll be coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season, which means coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.